Welcome to the afternoon session. Who's full of really good lunch? Okay, I should probably make you all stand up so you don't get drowsy, but if you're feeling like you need to move, please move around. Um, the second session is one that I'm really passionate about. It's the notion of the commons. And um, I'm glad that there's quite a good audience in the room because it's a really important topic for us to consider moving forward into new economies. So the title is Back to the Economy, the Commons Radical Reading Group Meets the Authors. <laughs> um, these guys have been fantastic. It's every uh, panel chair's dream to not have to get up and down between all the speakers and these guys have co coordinated a, a choreographed presentation with one PowerPoint <coughs> and, uh, and then a discussion amongst themselves. So I'd like to um, introduce you to Miriam Williams. We have Stephen Healy um, and we have Nick uh, Grimpuckle. So we might leave all the questions till the end. Are you happy with that? Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Miriam. I am um, one of the founders of a community organisation called The Commons. And I'm going to spend a bit of time talking about that. Um, this session is going to be a little bit more casual than the sessions we've had previously and that's because part of the intention for this session is to have a dialogue between a group of people who have been organising a, um, a radical reading group um, along with some participants of the radical reading group and we've also got some participants who are doing the catering today. Um, we've got participants who are here as um, other people talking and, and participants who were also very key in the Radical Reading Group, Jai, for example, who might pop in and to give some insights as well because we didn't want to have 10 people on the panel, but it's um, really exciting to see people who have been part of creating this Radical Reading Group be part of today as well. And we also have two of the authors of the book that the Radical Reading Group is reading who are going to share some insights into the process of writing that book um, and how it's been used in other locations. So the topic really for today is to talk about the role of radical reading groups um, and experience of that radical reading group in a particular example, which is the Commons, a community organisation in Newcastle, um, and to have a think about the role those reading groups might play in the new economy, particularly around the role of developing collective knowledge, language and politics in a grassroots location. So I do um, encourage, we will have some time for questions at the end and if there is a point that you want some clarification on, write it down or, or do put up your hand and, and we'll give some more information. Um, so to begin with, um, the Commons is a community organisation that a couple of people got together in Newcastle and decided to create. Um, it began in 2012 where Caitlin and Tim, the co-founders, had been travelling in Europe and saw, seen the value of particular community spaces, um, particularly a library in Estonia. And the role this hub played in this place in Estonia and were very much inspired by that experience of travelling overseas. And so they came back and approached myself and my partner and said, hey, why don't we think about creating a similar type of organisation in Newcastle? And so we gathered together um, the people we had been in contact with through our networks, um, particularly for us, we'd been heavily involved in the Uniting Church 
And so the Uniting Church has got quite a, a radical history of um, consensus decision-making, non-hierarchical structure, um, and participation in social justice. And so we'd come through that together and thought, well, why don't we create a community space that fosters creativity, that is about um, building connections in the community, that people from different religious beliefs, ethnicities, sexualities, ability, socioeconomic status could feel able to participate in and be a part of. So we came and, and I'd also been completing my PhD at the time on urban commons, um, looking at everyday practices of care and justice in inner city community organisations that were collectively owned and managed. So I had the theoretical benefit of these types of organisations and also an experience through doing research on them of, um, as an inspiration as well to how we set up this place called the Commons. So we were lucky enough to um, access the top floor of a uh, church hall right on Beaumont Street. Has anyone been to Newcastle before? Yeah, there's a couple of you here from Newcastle. Um, Beaumont Street's one of the key eat streets of Newcastle um, and this hall is extremely ugly and falling apart um, and had a, a disused upper floor space that we, through the goodness, generosity and goodwill of a bunch of people, transformed over a period of weeks through working bees. Um, and we gathered together various secondhand materials, um, op shopping, things on the side of the road, and formed the Commons, which is a people's library so books are really key. So people were um, able to put books that they think other people should read, a community library, on the shelf, and then other people would borrow, borrow them um, and have a book exchange as well. Things that are quite easy to access, um, to, to gather that together along with a fair trade cafe, so ethical consumption was key for us, um, and a, a creativity hub, so making sure that there was a space for artists in particular, Caitlin and Tim are very heavily involved in the creative arts and um, music scene in Newcastle, and there was very much a, a lack of a underage and um, low-cost venue for creativity to happen. Um, and also, uh, a, a, I suppose, a, a, a hub for community groups to use. So access to space in the city is not necessarily something that's easy to come by. So having a low-cost venue, which community groups like craft collectives, board game collectives could use um, to meet and gather and to build connections with each other, um, we were able to provide that at, at a, by donation, a different funding model rather than the, um, the quite expensive funding model that you come in order to hire community spaces. So we assembled the people and... Um, since 2012, we've been a fair trade cafe um, and provided a space for workshops, for music gigs, um, with very much dependent on volunteer labour. So run by a core group of volunteers, managed by that core group of volunteers and um, very generously supported by um, the fact that we only have to pay for utility costs in order to use the space. So the Commons is in an interesting legal position. Um, we are in the process of becoming an incorporated association. Um, 
an agency of the Uniting Church. Um, but I want to stress as well that the people on the board and also the people involved in the management and running, as um, Nick and others are a great example, is that people don't necessarily have that connection to the Uniting Church in a formal way, but um, it's kind of like like-minded people are, are participating and, and being part of growing this community space. So as a faith community, um, we're able to access the benefits of the resources of the Uniting Church in using the building and also um, in able, being able to have the insurance cover to do the activities that we, we want to do and we're able to do. So it's quite a, a great relationship. Um, but at the same time, as there's only a couple of us who would identify as Uniting Church people. And so part of the couple of us who do, our role is to actually talk back to the church about, well, this is a really um, important way to do economies differently. We think economy is important, but also to do community space and connections, grow connections with people in a different way. So that's part of the ongoing story that, that we are participating in and growing. So people who participate at the Commons come from all walks of life um, and volunteer in all sorts of ways. We've run a, a variety of different programs, including the Common Sustenance Project, which was um, a number of community cooking classes, trying to grow understanding of um, ethical eating, but also healthy eating and, and um, do so in a way that's affordable and, and is about sharing knowledge, which I'll get back to a bit later. Um, and these cooking classes have been extremely important to growing people's awareness of the commons and as has our weekly gigs and, and other events, um, having an accessible space for kids. Um, and in 2014, it was through the energy of our caterers for the um, conference today, Holly and Pete, um, who were really interested in going, okay, well, well, why don't we actually start up a bulk food buying system through the commons so that people for them, they have um, been part of potluck catering for quite a substantial period of time. And so they, in starting that business, they also thought that the commons, there's a lot of emphasis and, and need for this type of community food initiative in Newcastle. So we're able to build the common goods store, um, which has the value of trying to recognise the interdependence of consumers, suppliers and the environment, providing wholesome and ethical food to eat and sustain the communities who produce and consume it. So that's done in a variety of ways. Um, we also grow connections with other like-minded community groups, and this is important to a point I will get to eventually around um, the type of role the organisation is trying to play in Newcastle, which is about building networks and connections with other like-minded groups, such as Beanstalk Organic Food Co-op, trying to support um, more ethical and just economies by providing the community space for them, but also by um, supporting and promoting other ethical economic models and ways of doing things. So the cafe is open currently four days a week um, and it has a, a variety of, of purposes in the community. So part of it is to, there's a hangout space, people can come, they don't have to consume anything, there's free Wi-Fi, um, there's, we've had a grant of $10,000 from Uniting, um, which is the social justice arm of the Uniting Church to 
by a number of um, bulk food dispensers and set up what we talk about is the common goods store proper. Since we started in a small way, we've been able to renovate and um, really make a goal of providing, having a, a low cost affordable community supermarket set up. The biggest barrier for us um, is the being on the top floor with no disabled access. Um, and that is part of the plans for the commons on, in the long term is to actually um, have, is to move downstairs and to, to be able to be much more inclusive and accessible. So what, still run by volunteers. Um, and it was through in having a planning day in the beginning of this year that we actually started to think about running um, a different type of workshop than we have in the past. So we've run a whole range of different workshops and we've run um, social justice events. We've partnered with Amnesty International and all the uh, different types of community groups have used the space in order to run radical film events, um, etc. But there was something about the Commons group at this particular moment that motivated me to from my own background um, as an academic who's been passionate about doing economies differently, to create a space where people could come together to actually learn about a different way of doing economy and also develop a collective language to talk about some of the things that people are already doing. And that's where, after this planning day at the beginning of the year, we actually decided to form the Take Back the Economy Radical Reading Group. So, um, Nick, did you want to add anything to that story? I'm just speaking to this one. And talk about what the Commons does now before we get more into the role of the Radical Reading Group. I think you covered it fairly well, Mim. Um, just one point that I'd like to highlight that you've already said is that even though the Commons comes from a background and, and is still very much uh, because of the building release and because of the organisational structure, uh, it comes from the Uniting Church. It, it isn't necessarily uh, pigeonholed in that way and the commons is really whatever the community that uses it wants to create. Um, so, for example, um, you know, this is just one example of a project that we've, we've started, but Mim's already mentioned the, uh, bulk good, the bulk goods store, which has facilitated the catering project. Um, some new exciting projects that we're working on are we're in discussions and, and working to set up potentially an ecology centre in Newcastle. And it's the space is, I think, most beneficial because it provides that um, arena for other projects to springboard off. And mm -hmm. having the um, having the the physical space as well as the um, as well as the the structural and governance and and communal. Um, structures around it, the people involved are uh, really, really important to allowing these kind of projects in Newcastle to, to get off the ground. Um, so back in May, um, I approached a couple of people who I thought I could rope in <laughs> to forming um, the Commons, and we had lots of brainstorming about what we were going to call this group. Um, but the Commons Take Back the Economy Radical Reading Group, because who doesn't want to be part of a radical reading group? Like, that's what Jenny said. She thought that everyone wants to be part of a radical. Imagine having reading and it was radical. Um, so 
the aim behind this was, and this is our initial flyer, was to support and develop a collective knowledge, politics and vision for a solidarity economy based around community wellbeing in Newcastle. So I don't know about you, but there's a, my experience of talking about economy, people think about it in one particular way and it's really hard to actually communicate some of the different ways of thinking about economy. And for me, the way I think about economically differently was through engaging in the work of um, J.K. Gibson Graham, um, but also the take back the economy idea with um, J.K. Gibson Graham, Cameron and Healy, who have developed specific tools and ways of thinking about the economy that move beyond the wage um, capitalist market um, economy to ones that incorporate a broader understanding of the types of economic practices that sustain our society and that are part of the ways people are participating in, in diverse forms of economy. And it was those tools that I find extremely empowering when I'm talking to students, but also that seem to resonate with some of the, the vision and some of the ways that the people on the Commons management team were trying to articulate their vision for the Commons. So the vision for the Commons currently is to connect communities of care and justice to empower people to live lives of joy, hope and meaning through the values of ethical, sustainable, creative and inclusive. And at the planning day at the beginning of the year, and this changes depending on who's there, as we know with community organisations, people bring a lot of their own um, understandings and experience to these things. We were articulating the vision for the Commons not so much as what the statement I said before, which was describing really what we do. The vision for the Commons is more of an aspirational thing. We actually want to articulate it in terms of a movement, something that is about um, trying to grow alternative um, more just and ethical economies and provide spaces of, of care and justice and hope in our world that, as others have talked about, people are um, lacking, I suppose, a sense of connection and um, feeling quite depressed about the state of the world. So the Commons Radical Reading Group was just one way to develop a collective knowledge for that particular group of Commons management team members, who are a number of them have come along to the reading group, but also to specifically target other like-minded organisations in Newcastle and other like-minded people in Newcastle in order to grow a network, um, which is what the Commons tries to do more broadly um, in terms of the organisation. Um, but to grow that the connections between the organisations. So in Newcastle, we have a number of different groups. So Beanstalk Organic Food Co-op is a great example, and Jenny Cameron is quite involved with them. We have Pachamama, which is a community hub um, and workspace, which another number of organisations like 350 Org and Get Up and Wilderness Society and the Greens all are part of that. There's some communal living spaces. There's a, um, a radical group that's part of people's homes called The Swamp that does radical reading, um, sorry, radical film screenings and uh, currently organising students of sustainability. So there's a number of different like-minded organisations really within a, a community, um, a five kilometre radius, and, and that, that are 
very much aligned in terms of the types of work they're trying to do in, in the Newcastle area. So part of the, the reason for this um, reading group was to actually gather those people together and make the most of that moment um, and the collective wisdom of the people in the room by reading the book Take Back the Economy. So I will invite Catherine and Stephen to talk a little bit about the book and then I'll talk more about how we have organised the reading group and the role that the reading group has begun to play in the Newcastle community. All right. Looks pretty tired here in the post-lunch crowd, so um, I encourage you to breathe deeply. I, I need to. Um, I'm kind of speaking off the cuff here. Um, I just came out of the colloquium on law and new economy that Bronwyn organized where I got sort of assaulted with 12 really intense conversations, specifically about the role that um, the legal form can play in enabling the development of a new economy. Um, and I found a lot of kindred spirits there. And to me, that's a nice demonstration of the power of a reading group. I mean, that's really what we did, was we got together, we read things, we discussed it. And um, for me, it sort of broadened my sense of who my allies might be um, in helping to develop a new economy and responding to some incredibly challenging ecological, economic, and social challenges, climate change, inequality, and in some ways, I think, I don't know how to describe it, I think Amanda Cahill touched on it, a sort of collapse in our capacity to be civil to one another, that kind of creeping sensibility of, um, I guess, xenophobia and resentment that seems to be structuring politics, certainly in the United States, and to a lesser extent here, in England, in Europe, and elsewhere. Um, so I see, like, I, I, I think, I don't know how much time I have, you'll just You'll use the hook whenever I say too much. Um, you know, part of it's about reading groups, and part of it was um, why, did, why did Julie, Kath, Jenny, and I write this book, um, Take Back the Economy? And, and we, we, re we wrote it with the intention um, that, it would, that it would maybe catalyze uh, study groups. People could get together and really look at it, look at the content of the books and then begin again, just like we, we learned with the law conference, how to think differently and act differently in relation to the economy. Um, I was Julie's student. I met Julie in the early 1990s and at that time I was a um, dyed in the wool, actually in black, um, orthodox Marxist. And I was left waiting for the revolution. I wanted some kind of fundamental contradiction of capitalism to spontaneously catalyze some kind of political uprising, and then we would get sea change in a new economy um, led by um, a vanguardist organization of which I was a member. Um, the Soviet Union collapsed when I was well, 19 years old. Um, I kind of lost my bearings. And so Julie asked me this question. She said, why is it that Marxists have to wait for their revolution, but feminists get to have it now. And in fact, they had already had it, right? And again, if we go back, look, history does repeat itself. In the 1970s, feminism depended upon reading groups to communicate a simple message, which is that women should be fully enfranchised members of society, right? That their desires and aspirations should count for something. Um, <clears throat> sorry, get a little choked up about that. Um, and it had power, right? Like it, it moved from reading group to reading group, from consciousness-raising circle to consciousness-raising circle, and in all kinds of complicated ways, 
transformed social relations in the United States, in Australia, and in um, really, frankly, every society that I'm aware of. I think when it comes to thinking differently about economy, part of the sort of motivation for writing this book was that between Jenny, Julie, Kath, and I, we had a lot of examples of societies and practices and moments where people were already doing it differently. And that's very much the spirit that animates this, this um, conference. Right, so we, we sort of, I think, started with the power of good examples. The Mondragon Cooperative Corporation, for example, right? The largest um, cluster of industrial co-ops in the world has been an inspiration for people, right? A, a communally owned and run business, sure, with all kinds of complexities and challenges in the society. That got started with a reading group, right? It was Don Jose Maria, the, the, father, the village priest, and a few of his students getting together and beginning to study Catholic social doctrine and Marxism and lots of other things, and then they came up with the idea, what if we were to run an enterprise and we were in control of it, aggregate the profits, reinvest it in new enterprises, right, and develop, and, uh, develop a cooperative complex that now employs 80,000 people in the Basque region and has global reach. In fact, as I walk around Sydney, I see Orbea bikes everywhere. They're produced by Mondragon, right? That idea has persisted through time and has inspired um, what's called anchor-led uh, cooperative development in the United States, right? Again, also formed through people studying and trying to repeat what was done in Mondragon 70 years ago now in cities like Cleveland or Cincinnati or Richmond, California, right? So there's something about when people begin to think differently about what the economy is or could be and share that information, um, that there's a transformative power. So in the book, we have five chapters, one about work, one about enterprise, one about exchange, one about the management of property, and one about finance. And in, in, the, in, the, in each of the chapters, we have examples of people doing economy differently. And that a big part of how that, that different approach to economy is accomplished is through different ways of valuing and representing economic activity, right? So we have sort of tools, and maybe Kath could say a bit more about this, that allow us to think about, okay, if we want to manage a common resource in common, um, how, how do we think about it differently in a way that departs from how we think about the management of private property, right? There's a different calculus that goes into communities collectively managing assets. And that in turn, that translates into uh, a different kind of politics. I guess, I guess just to say one more point, I don't think we're alone in thinking about this. Um, the Transition Town Movement, for example, is, an, is another group that's inspired by permaculture, which already came up before, that is also using uh, the reading group approach in order to think about how do we come up with an energy action descent plan? Um, how do we wean ourselves off of fossil fuels and become more self-reliant in terms of their economic organization. They were inspired a lot by Rob Hopkins and the permaculture community. And there's also an allied movement called Carbon Conversations, started by a psychologist named Rosemary Randall, that helps people to work through the trauma of having to give up a fossil fuel intensive economy and transition to one that's resilient, local, and self-reliance, right? There's a loss that's implied there that people need to work through. It doesn't mean that we can't be enthusiastic about it, but we also have to be realistic about what it means to give up on an economy where basically all we're asked to do is 
get training, get a job, work really hard, buy a house, get into lots of debt, and somehow imagine that this larger structure is going to take care of us without us having to cooperate with one another or exercise any kind of collective responsibility. Um, you know, this, is a, this makes the, the, the idea that we can have a new economy makes different kinds of demands on us. So again, carbon conversations like reading groups are imagining that we can create spaces that are uh, supportive, that are where we can, we can work through what it might mean um, to, in, this, in, the, in the case of carbon conversations, live in a less energetically intensive way. And I think really the common space that uh, Miriam was just talking about is, is, um, is, an, is another allied effort at creating that sort of supportive context uh, where people can not only practice what it's like to be in common, but also where that space ends up being generative of economic opportunities, like the catering business that's feeding us today, for example, right? And that's supposed to be the first of many businesses that would follow. And I'm reasonably confident that that could happen because as I think about what we wrote in the book, that's happened before. Other people have gotten together and um, made spaces like this work effectively. What it amounts to for me is the kind of collective stammering, right? Like where we're having a conversation we're not much like myself. We're not quite sure of where we're going. We're not quite sure what the result's going to be, but we're, but we're willing to have that conversation anyways, right? To sort of, uh, as they put it in relation to Mondragon, to build the road as we travel. Um, maybe that's a nice way to segue over to what Kath might share with us. So, um, yes, Jenny Cameron sending her apologies for not being able to be here, so I've stepped in, and for those that don't know, I'm one half of J.K. Gibson Graham. Um, Julie, unfortunately, or sadly, died in 2010, um, but um, we continue to write together. <laughs> okay, so um, I guess the central to our kind of way of thinking about the economy, and, and the book is structured around systematically going through this, but the, the key idea, I suppose, is that we live in what we call a diverse economy rather than a capitalist economy. What most mainstream economics focuses on is, you know, formal employment, waged employment in, in markets where commodities are produced for exchange um, in capitalist firms. But as we all know, there are many other practices and locations in which people are involved in making life livable. <laughs> whether it's in the household, in the community, in different kinds of business enterprises that aren't capitalist and so on. So this idea of a diverse economy or an iceberg where we're, what, we're, what a lot of mainstream um, focus is on the tip of the iceberg and, uh, and the rest has been ignored is something that's motivated our work and it costs, it very much influenced by a feminist economics uh, view that sees all the unpaid labor that's going on, household labor as being very crucial to how the world works. Yeah, so, um, and our thinking, we've, we've really looked at all the different ways that labour is organised, not just through wage labour, but through alternative forms of payment and unpaid labour, how all sorts of transactions take place that make our, our world work through um, non-market exchanges and forms of market exchange where there's some kind of ethic involved that isn't necessarily purely alienated kind of commodity um, exchange and various kinds of enterprises that we might identify um, in which there's a, a different kind of relationship going on than the, um, the traditional business, um, profit-making business, the capitalist business. And the way we've filled that in is really just drawing on all the scholarship and practices that take place 
um, that have documented, say, in economic anthropology or in informal economy work and so on, all the different kinds of practices that coexist in our world. And all of us are involved in many of these things, usually. I mean, you could locate which of these kinds of labour you participate in which of these kinds of enterprises, which kinds of transactions. And all of us are, are su economic subjects that are shaped by these multiple practices. And we could add into this the different kinds of property relationships we're involved in and the different kinds of financial relationships. Now, in, in the kind of mainstream thinking, these kinds of um, you know, visions of labour, enterprise and transactions are dominated by particular kinds of uh, uh, relationships, you know, trying to... Um, work uh, to earn a living, but in, in, in an employment relationship, there's often a, a determination to try and get the cheapest labour, for instance. Um, in enterprises, they attempt to try and get the made most profits. In transactions, depending on what side of the exchange you're on, to get the, the lowest price or the highest price. And so what we're interested in doing is thinking about the different kinds of um, uh, core ethical relationships that could structure these kinds of um, economic transactions. And when we think about why we work, we're really working to try and survive. But how do we, how do we survive? Um, many of us are working um, or living to work rather than working to live. And yet we could be doing a lot of different kinds of work practices that might produce a different kind of living. Um, when we think about enterprise, uh, it's a way of generating wealth, generating new wealth, but it's also a way of distributing the surplus or distributing wealth, and that can happen in many different kinds of ways. Some of them also exploitative, but some of them perhaps more able to distribute wealth um, widely. And when we think about why we're involved in markets, um, as, Den as uh, Richard was saying this morning, it's just a place where buyers and sellers come together, but it's a place where we encounter others, as in all the other kinds of transactions that take place in, in, in our lives. We, we transact with nature, we transact with other people, and how do we produce an ethical encounter through those transactions? I talked a bit already about commoning this morning. Um, how do we start to make and share access to resources um, in a new way? And Really, when we think about finance, it's really about investing in a future, saving for some other day. So how do we have ethical investments? So the, the chapters of the book really try and shift the analysis of the economy away from these kind of unidimensional interests in working for a wage, uh, employing, having a business to make profits, um, you know, exchanging to make a profit as well, um, Private, private property which benefits a particular um, sector or um, in finances that are all about you know, increasing interest rates and so on. And we try and shift the, the conversation to these kinds of questions that we call community economy concerns. How do we survive well together with the earth? How do we distribute surplus so that we you know, support our world? How do we have ethical encounters with others? How do we common? How do we invest in futures? And, and all of these things, how do we sustain, consume sustainably? So in the book, we have these kind of tools. And I guess the, our key to um, the strategy is not just to reframe, as I've done there, try to reframe what these kind of practices are about, but to generate tools that help us to inventory our lives. Inventory, what kind of work are we doing? How do we spend our life, the last 24 hours of our day? What kind of work did we do? And what kind of well-being is that creating? Um, so in the Surviving Well chapter, we, we, we just introduced very simple time use studies. 
um, simple well-being accounts, like how do we assess our well-being on all the on different dimensions, like um, physical, um, economic, community, social, psychological, and then how do we assess the kind of well-being that that kind of life, that work-life balance or work-life profile is doing? What kind of impact is it having on the world? What kind of ecological footprint is that kind of work profile having? Is what kind of well-being, therefore, is it creating not just for us personally, but for this planet? So we have a, a number of tools that help people to do that. And this is a kind of um, exercise that people have started to do in lots of different places. And this is a, a group in Colombia. Um, again, it's a, a, a feminist um, a community center that's been set up around education in the plains of Bogota, west of um, uh, Bogota, where there's a big uh, international uh, flower industry that's been, has taken over the productive plains, these huge um, plastic kind of uh, hothouses. And many of the women in this region um, were, have worked in this industry and then have been kind of thrown out of it because of um, the toxins, the atmosphere they're working in, the health effects that it's had on them. Um, and there's huge airports there, military airports and, and international airports that fly all the flowers off to the rest of the world, you know, when it's Valentine's Day or whatever. It's a huge export industry. And many of the women at this, um, uh, this small this centre in Madrid, on, uh, a few hours west of, or so east of Bogota, are daughters of flower workers who don't want to live that kind of life. And they're doing this inventory using our work to try and say what kind of well-being is this kind of work producing what kind of other work might we do? So it's um, saying, you know, what's the balance scale? What, what kind of, where are we putting our time into what kind of work? What kind of time do we have for our life, to the, for the environment? How do we kind of assess this? And interestingly, this group came back to us and said, we want to add into here our spiritual well-being, not just, um, and environmental well-being, not just our social and community well-being. So the tools that we've de developed in the book are all ones that we'd like to be interactive, that people would um, modify and change uh, according to their, their context. So um, this is one of the things we learned from that particular group of using it. And I'll just lastly mention another um, context in which uh, the tools in the book have been used. Um, a conference was organised in, um, uh, in Montreal just earlier this year to bring together many of the groups that were involved in um, solidarity economy um, experimentation in Quebec, um, the province, the French-Canadian French province, where um, there's been a long history of a social economy um, of cooperatives and um, credit unions supported by the labour movement and increasingly by the provincial government. Um, and uh, Montreal itself has a huge number of social economy kind of uh, um, activities. But the people that came to this conference were people from the pro out in the rural areas. Um, they'd had a, a conference recently for the Montrealers. And so these were people who were working on permaculture farms, on ecotourism, on different kinds of agroforestry, caring for land, um, work with indigenous communities and so on. And, um, the idea of the organisers was to start to get people again, a bit like the Commons um, agenda, to start to talk to each other, to start to thicken the relationships between these different organisations. And they, um, well, here are just some of the um, dots of, from where they came from in, um, 
in Quebec. Quebec's a huge, huge region. So, so many people had travelled quite a long time to get down to, um, to Montreal. And the idea was to try to use some of the tools in the book to uh, unpack what the organisations were doing, um, to see to what extent the tools helped them to, um, uh, uh, I guess, pinpoint some of the challenges they are facing, but also the ways in which they might start to uh, join together, um, whether it's through new kind of supply chains they might connect with each other, through uh, new pressure to um, oppose certain regulations. Many of these organisations and groups were finding that the regulatory framework that was set up by the municipal government or the provincial government was stopping them doing the kinds of um, new ways of living in the, on the earth that they wanted to be involved in. So while they were very much more influenced by anarchism and had not worked together that much, this, this was an opportunity to start to come together and, um, and to build connections. And here, you know, their, their feedback to us was very interesting because um, just some of the questions that we, um, we thought were important about, uh, for instance, how do you survive well, what's necessary, what's surplus, was very difficult to determine for these groups where people are putting so much effort into starting something up. They're putting all their surplus time, spare time, into these organisations, which, of course, isn't sustainable. So um, this was an interesting conversation that came up when we just started looking at that surviving well um, and here were the, this were the, the organisations and the kinds of areas they are in, in housing, agri for, agriculture, forestry, food, and different projects. So, um, yeah, and this was the tool from the um, enterprise chapter where we're saying what is, you know, what's going into in paying the survival needs of your workers or the people involved in this organisation? What kind of surplus are you generating and how does that get distributed? And many of them were saying, well, you know, we don't have any surplus yet. Our survival payments are extremely low. We have a very long working day. Um, our survival is being subsidised by volunteering. Um, and what are the, many of the survival payments we could be paying to ourselves are, are flowing to the state because of legally required um, payments or taxes and so on. So it was, the, the tools were able to be used to kind of unpack some of the questions and... Um, uh, challenges that, that, that these groups were organised, uh, were finding. And I mentioned um, this, this as well. And the, the commenting was, we didn't talk about in that particular workshop, but has been used in other places. Um, so the Commons as an organisation itself is an experiment. Um, and the reading group as well is an experiment. And I think that, that it's something that um, coming along to gather a group of people together. You don't know who's going to be in the room. You don't know who's going to come along. Um, and so in setting up the reading group from the beginning, um, myself and, and Ryle in particular began the process of thinking about, okay, well, how do we, we don't know who's going to turn up in the room, but how do we make the space safe for discussions that are collaborative, that are akin to actually having um, people journey together in a way that's, I don't like using the word, but productive. So something that, that, that so that people aren't um, coming in a, in a way that they would then disagree to the point where they decide not to come back, but to actually be able to participate in a discussion, to have that collaborative learning space that would be supportive of their learning journey 
I don't want that to sound airy-fairy, but I think it's really important to provide safe spaces for discussion like that. So we, we actually went about setting up the, the group in that way. So to, to talk about how um, we don't want it to be a space where people are just critiquing each other, but is one where it's constructive and also providing the opportunity for us to learn from each other. So the interesting thing about the Commons Reading Group of Take Back the Economy is the diverse places that people have come from and also the diverse motivations for why they're there. So there's people who have come along because they're connected to the university, there's people who've come along because they're connected to the Commons or they found out through the other reading groups, there's people who just came along because they were interested in talking about economy. They don't get the opportunity to actually talk about different places economies in, in their everyday life. Um, there was what is one gentleman who's part of the Transition Towns Network, but there's no space for them to actually explore um, the types of economies they want to see happen. So it's very much a, a type, a, a, a unique environment for those conversations to happen. So for the first, we've only actually had three reading groups. So as I said, it's still an experiment. We have, on Thursday this week, we have our fourth. The first um, reading group we took, it was more of a, um, the people who came along weren't expected to have actually read the book because that was at the meeting that we would then distribute the copies that we did have. Um, where we set out the, I, the key ideas of the different way of thinking about economy um, and unpack that reframing the economy using the iceberg, which you saw, um, the diverse economy, and then talk about people's own experiences. And so we've actually used um, some of the tools from the book specifically, but also tools from the broader work of J.K. Gibson, Graham and others. So um, these come from the, the Community Economies website to explore and to try and have people think through these various areas um, to explain a different way of thinking about economy. And some of the feedback that I've had is that, oh, it just, it's very much explaining the types of things I'm already doing. It provides me a language to actually explain that the types of economic activities and decisions I've made in my own life to perhaps work in the um, alternative paid or um, reciprocal labour or do a whole range of volunteering work for community organisations rather than participating more fully in the wage economy. You know, it actually gives people a way to articulate the types of things they're already involved in and for that has been extremely powerful for them. So um, we've gone about... Um, Jai has also been very instrumental in, in helping the the organisers of the group, I suppose, try and figure out how we're going to actually tackle this chapter and explore this chapter in two hours. So the, the economy um, reading group begins, we've got two hours. We start with soup. We share soup and bread that someone has made. We gather together. Um, we share what we've been thinking about and we try and make it an environment where um, it isn't just the organisers who are dominating the conversation, but is everyone's participating. So the second group, people came along and, and um, read about the idea of taking back work. Um, and the tools that were provided in the book very much focused on individual ways of redefining individual work. 
but we made the decision that there's something really important about that moment of people being in the room together that we can harness, whereas they can do the individual reflection themselves at home, let's harness that moment of having those brains in that space at that particular point in time to, to explore some of the other aspects of the book, particularly around um, it details some of the ethical actions or particular ideas of um, redefining work, um, of you know, sharing what we need to survive well, so how people are going about doing that, um, what are the opportunities that they could also participate in more broadly, or how is the government involved or what role do they need to play in in enabling people to survive well so to actually harness that that's something that is so unique about a reading group is that there's actually bodies in a room committed to talk about a particular thing at a particular point in time that you don't necessarily get um, when you're reading something alone that's some of the thinking that we've done as a group. Um, and so I just wanted to also talk about some of the difficulties that we've faced in attempting to create this space um, for people to have these types of conversations. And I suppose um, we began the first event, we had 30 people. The second, we had 20. Um, the third, we had 30 again, and that was the Meet the Authors. We had... Um, Stephen Healy and Jenny Cameron come at that particular point and it was seen as a moment where people more broadly could come and, and meet the authors engage and then on Thursday we'll have the next group so we'll see how much a different sized group would be there. I mean I was expecting 10 people to come generally not that many people so the number of people for me isn't actually that important but I think it does say something about the interest and also um, how well the group's going. Um, in terms of trying to create the environment that it does. And um, Nick, you might want to comment on some of these aspects as, as a participant as well. Um, so the other thing we found is that um, accessing the book has been a bit of a barrier. So there's quite a few people who were involved in the reading group from the university context. Um, so they're able, so they're either as students or as academics, so they're actually able to access the book. But um, how do you distribute or pay, you know, how do you get copies of books to enough people? You know, it's, it's when publishing, you don't want to be photocopying the entire book because that's against copyright. Like, how do you actually practically do this? So um, there's a few of us who've actually donated copies to the Commons so that people can borrow them. Um, and have access to them. Um, Nick, did you want to talk any more about the the way that the reading group is going and, and your experiences of being part of it? Sure. Um, for start, can I say that I've actually stolen the, the common book um, currently, so it's not actually one of the commons at the it's moment. It's not stolen. I've, I've commoned, commandeered. Um, I'd just like to highlight, Min, what you're talking about uh, with the Commons in creating a really safe space for this activity to happen. Um, it's one of the, the big things that I've noticed with participants who have come is that they, they all come up and they, they go, uh, wow, you know, this, this isn't new. You know, these, these are activities that I'm already doing. Um, or I've interacted with groups who are doing these activities. And I think really in Newcastle it, it's particularly poignant because 
there is such a strong community network of these kinds of spaces and as you said I mean having this this space and this this language and this community that can draw it all together and to say there is the commons and there is Pachamama and um, you know I, I live with Jared Hicks who's presenting tomorrow who runs a, a workers cooperative power agency um, these things already happen and um, I think it, it's one of the things that that Richard Dennis said this morning was that the new economy will be built out of the old economy or maybe the new economy is already here and we're, we're building it and the activities of reading groups like this are more about highlighting what's already happening and building on those activities and creating more momentum within things that you know it, it's not a delineated point of old economy new economy it's let's let's generate the momentum that we already have um, and that's something that's really come out in the reading group as people have gone oh yeah this, this, this already happens um, and the other thought I had was was on the safer space um, aspect of the reading group was that uh, Jenny Cameron highlighted a really important point about um, we have this universal commons of, of social media and the internet but because the way we interact with those spaces is always this uh, really high-risk performative um, behavior of, of can I present myself properly there's there's not really a forum for developing and, and bouncing ideas and and creating a common understanding or a common thought about where we want to go or, or what we're thinking and a reading group with people in the room with uh, body language involved and with people who you know you, you have greater connection with than strangers on the internet is a much much safer space um, and so the importance of that has, has again really shown that people have um, in the reading groups people have put out ideas that they go oh this is uh, maybe not but let's try that and it, um, it, it may have been abortive but it has also generated some really interesting discussion around uh, where we can where we can develop further or where we can go to next. Um, so I think that's another really beneficial aspect of the reading group. Um, as far as difficulties go, I think the one of the, the really big ones that we face as the Commons in uh, in general is uh, just access to the space because we're up two flights of stairs. It's it's really unfortunate that we're not able to get participation from um, people who, who can't manage that, that staircase or or even people who see that staircase as a barrier um, you know that, that's a, a physical and, and mental barrier for a lot of people to go oh I don't I don't know what's up there and that that's a, an issue that we face with the Commons in general so again it, it's about how the space facilitates the behavior within it mm. um, and I think as well in terms of we have a Facebook group for the reading group. And I actually thought it would generate a lot more discussion offline than it actually does. It actually doesn't generate that much offline discussion. Um, so I think, again, that actually dedicated time to, to set aside to have these conversations is something that um, is quite unique. Um, but also being quite conscious of language is something that I also think is important. So. Um, there's, we've had a number of discussions within the Commons team about trying to 
provide language that isn't academic, and it's quite a challenge for those of us who are academics to do that. And so the consciousness in the reading group has been to try and enable the language we use and the concepts we use to be really accessible um, to people who haven't had that formal training um, because of various reasons, being it be that they can't afford education, they have to work or that they're just not inclined in that way. You know, we have to think about, and in terms of having a new economy, it needs to be one that is inclusive and that is able to be translated in a way that is accessible for a number of different people. So we might have some questions. <laughs>